Hi, this is Jeff Petowitz, President and CEO of the Petowitz Group, and welcome to CMO Insights, the podcast series. Today, as our guest, we have Bonnie Havian, who is Chief Marketing Officer of Excalibur Capital. Bonnie, welcome to the show. Well, thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Absolutely, absolutely. So now you just joined Excalibur a short time ago. Tell us a little bit about it. Yeah, I've been there, gosh, it'll be coming up on a year. It's funny how, how time flies. Um, started it a little bit, you know, doing contractual work, and then the next thing you know, I'm there full time, and it's been a great journey. I love, I do very well, you know, and, and enjoy companies that are going from one next, one stage to the next and rapidly growing, and that's kind of the atmosphere where I am right now. So um, it's been it's been a great journey. Now, when you have real estate finance, you know, technically I would say, at least from my experience, they've always kind of, from a marketing perspective, um, tagged a little bit behind some other residential and, and others more mm-hmm. kind of innovative, faster industries. So that's what's kind of fun to, to step in and say, okay, how are things that we can now, you know, market stronger, brand stronger, figure out how to get some efficiencies and really get uh, the brand out there and, and grab, you know, more, more uh, share voice and, you know, keep things moving. So it's been been fun. Uh, I've talked to so many CMOs over the years in different industries and, and, um, Certainly, real estate's fascinating. It's been a really hot market. Um, what are some of the things that the CMO needs to do within the real estate industry that you might think are different than some of the other industries? Well, I think most people have this perception of real estate, either you're selling homes, but in commercial real estate, and similar to like attorneys and other maybe um, businesses that haven't been so much focused on marketing, that it's kind of a dry space. But I have found you can really take something that may not be that may be dry historically, not much that you can say that's going to be really, you know, extremely exciting, but make it very interesting. And and actually, I think, you know, people have in the last several years, years taken it to a whole new level in real estate finance. You can show things video wise. You think that maybe you're just closing a transaction. Now you can show the impact that transaction is having on jobs and on the environment and on, you know, industries where we never were able to do that, say, 20, 30 years ago. I think you can give it a much more human feel. I think you can show impact. People are really focused in this generation and the next generation to come on making a difference. Now you can really show that, that you're not only lending money, but you're, you're focusing in lending that money towards areas that are going to benefit the world, whether it's affordable housing, seniors housing, uh, rural businesses, energy efficiency. You now have the ability to show those things. So I think that from a CMO perspective, you have to think about creative ways that you're going to be able to showcase your product in a meaningful way that resonates with your direct clients. And that's going to be the people who are borrowing uh, the capital. So I think um, we have a lot more at our disposal now than we did 20, 30 years ago. So, I mean, I think in some ways what you're saying, it's the marketer's job to do that, right? To differentiate uh, your products and service from the competition. But I think what I'm hearing you say, though, is you're using data very purposely, to purposely in terms of how you showcase the value of a given property to a specific community or buyer. Yeah, and I think that goes right back to I'm a big proponent of understanding your access strategy, understanding exactly how people are accessing uh, your product, your information, your company. Where is it that they hang out? You have to know that and then use data points to be able to say, okay, what am I producing or is it resonating? Is it creating value? What is it that people seem to really want? And then really, you know, hone in on that message using that data to say this is what they seem to want to hear. Let's make sure we give more of that to help bring them along that journey and then uh, in the same way, make sure you you know have feedback loops somewhere to to make sure that you're hitting it right. Uh, but yeah, you're spot on. 
Why do you think, though, I mean, I, everybody talks about the importance of data and making data-driven decisions, but it seems to be the elusive brass ring for, for many marketing and sales executives. Why do you think that is? First of all, I don't think we had it a lot in the past, and a lot of it was kind of spray and hope something sticks. I think now, when you're you know, getting to a new level, which allows you to show direct correlation between your efforts and bringing in some sort of revenue or really positively impacting the sales cycle, you want to be able to show that with data. So if you are able to put the points together and look at it and say, okay, if we go to X, Y, Z amount of X, Y, Z, and we have found that we are able to, you know, garner 10% of our business from that X, Y, Z, um, you know, um, investment, then we're able to say, okay, if we do that 10 times, maybe we'll be able to increase volume by 10, tenfold. You're able to kind of make correlations and strategic decisions, uh, probably that you couldn't make 20, 30 years ago. Think about it. Like when you and I were growing up, we talked about how people got to us. It was what, direct mail, maybe a, a Sears catalog. Um, you, you would call them and you answer the phone. You see a newspaper ad. Nowadays, you have unlimited amounts of ways that you can get in front of your clients in a meaningful way. People are wearing information. They're listening to podcasts on the average, I think, 18 to 20 hours a week. People are listening to audio. There are just so many more vehicles out there that unless, you know, we, A, we can take advantage of it. And B, you know, the next generation has taught us from social media, you can get immediate feedback. You can make decisions on what you see people responding to. We didn't have that, you know, two, three decades ago. Well, I mean, I think you're, you're certainly preaching to the choir on that, uh, particularly in B2B. I think we have access to so much data that even our colleagues in B2C don't. Because uh, within B2B, there's accounting systems and CRM systems and supply chain systems and customer service issues. And we're capturing so much data on our customers, but they're all siloed. And, and I think that creates some of the challenges for an executive to be able to get that data. Uh, there's different systems, different data models. How do you, but from a customer standpoint, it was one company. They've just been having this experience with one company. Why can't we integrate the data? Yeah, well, I think we have so many, as you probably see and as I see, on a day-to-day -day basis, as you're growing as a company, you can maybe only afford certain amount of systems and you can't, you know, put all of your eggs in one basket and you kind of excel and maybe you'll get a third-party vendor for this to bring in some data insights and a third-party vendor to, for this to bring in some insights and then you try and put it all together. Um, but that's a challenge in itself, just building that Mar MarTech stack. It's very, very challenging, especially if you're you know, a company that's kind of just growing. Now, if you're you know, very, very well established and very mature, well, then you probably have a lot more resources available to you, plus a lot more of historic data. Some of the companies that you start with who may just put this into practice may only have six months they can look at, whereas other companies who've been more mature and have been on the innovative side a little bit can look at five, 10 years worth of data. So I think there's just so many parameters that surround that and one of the things I'm seeing, and I don't, I'd like to know if you're seeing it from a CMO perspective, you see the tenure of CMOs not lasting like they used to years ago, because I think people want things so quickly and so immediately, and they are basing things more on data. They're expecting a lot more. So I see that people, you know, the, the pace of things has just expedited and sped up so quickly. It's hard to keep up. Uh, we, we've seen a general decline. I mean, I think for a while there it was on a good solid uptick. Uh, and we were seeing a good four, solid four to five year tenure for, for CMOs. But um, I'd say over the last couple of years, maybe just slightly before COVID, uh, that's moving back down towards in that 22 to 26 month range. Um, there's a lot less patience. Um, and then certainly let's, let's face it, not just CMOs. I mean, um, COVID, the pandemic has disrupted business models globally, all the changes to the labor force. 
um, regardless of your skill as a marketer, just dealing with talent, period, I think has been um, an unparalleled challenge for, for so many executives to be able to figure out how to adapt. I agree. I do think that the pandemic put us in a completely different realm of understanding a what is possible and b how do we adapt to it and there were definitely winners and losers during that time those that kind of figured out and, and you know took some risks and, and tried different things and others that were kind of like oh my gosh this is just so new to us what do we do i think we just are still shaking out from a lot of that but it has certainly pushed up the digital print and, and you know the digital side so much quicker Think about it from Zoom to everything that we do virtually to to the remote aspect of working. And I also think of, of being out there a little bit more. I mean, some of these social networks, LinkedIn has definitely got a huge boost from it and a lot of the other you know areas as well. Um, and I think that you're seeing that gap between senior leadership um, being able to speak and now get out there and brand their company has also been you know shortened. You, you have to kind of do that if you want to really kind of compete. Um, you know, LinkedIn is an interesting area because um, I've spoken to a lot of professionals that are starting to get frustrated because what they valued about LinkedIn was how professional it was and that it, they wouldn't get all the personal stuff that they're getting on Facebook. And But then in this age of authenticity, of being of people being vulnerable and sharing to make us more human, um, I think some people would argue that some of the personal stories they're sharing on LinkedIn is fantastic and, and, and it makes them more easily to be connected to. And then I see just as many people argue yeah, but don't we have other social channels for that? Can't we have different places for different things? Like, you know, we have our our uh, sports club for one thing. We have our reading club for something else. We have our church for a third. Why Why does everything have to be commingled? I don't know if it's so much being commingled as it is being what you said is being authentic. And I think to me that's a challenge for anyone that's on these platforms, including myself. I know where I feel most comfortable. I feel most comfortable really on LinkedIn, Facebook from a friend perspective. But LinkedIn, I feel comfortable. I have a great network of people there that are almost cheerleaders, right? So we go out there. We're we're professionally networking, but we're also looking to try and you know develop and evolve. And so I find that that's not necessarily a bad thing. When I see a story on there about a young you know student or someone that's done something fabulous and has done something that is a little bit different than the rest i'll be the first one to support it and not look at it as well why are they showing me that if it's authentic now i've also seen people on there crying which is a little like oh i really don't need to see that and that's definitely a turnoff but i think you bring up a very excellent point and i don't think we're going to see less of it i think we're going to see just as much if not more people sharing things that may be on that borderline but definitely you can tell me, but I can tell you what gets more engagement on mine. I know when, you know, I published my book, I got a ton of engagement. I'll publish something else that may be, you know, something more, more kind of conservative and red line towards a, you know, a corporate uh, something, and it doesn't get as much in engagement. So, you know. It's, it's true. I mean, I think like all things that is the relevancy of the topic, if it's not um, funny or controversial or something that's going to stoke <laughs> a lot of emotion, it's just a dry business topic about some some arcane thing yeah you probably get some polite commentary on it but it's not going to feed the masses because ultimately we um i think emotionally we crave that you know we we we, we crave that that emotional connection to the story and in business sometimes when we're just talking about bits and bytes and numbers is it, it's we we miss that emotional connection we miss that so uh yeah i could i could i could see it both ways um and then for me personally, though, just in my career, becoming so much more aware of the the power, both the good and the bad of social networks. Yeah. Um, I personally moved away from them because I'm finding them to be too much of an echo chamber. 
And I, you know, I, I respect opinions of everyone, but I, I hate having it constantly reverberated back at me. <laughs> you know, I don't want to be able to get an objective information from multiple sources. Yeah, I think sometimes too, it, it, being, it can become, it's a lot to keep up with, right? I mean, it's just constant. You're trying to differentiate your brand and how can you do that so that you stand amongst, you know, out amongst the crowd of so many others and you're trying to constantly find ways to do that, whether it's changing a color, looking a little different, being a little bit more human, giving some more video. It's an everyday battle. And I think that's why as well, post pandemic, you, you just see this almost, I don't know if you're going to see more burnout among professionals in that respect, because it is hard to keep up with. You know, and the, I think the other thing, too, is, um, you know, it's one thing when we were going into the office and we see people, but I think I, I know people necessarily find that exhausting, maybe the commute part. But now being on video all day long, smiling, being present, you know, just the energy it takes to be on on the video, I find is taking a different type of toll, uh, even though we have the flexibility and convenience of all these video channels like Zoom or Teams or Skype, uh, Slack or um, I don't know if you're seeing any of the same thing, like video fatigue or digital meeting fatigue. Yeah, I think we have to be conscious of that because it does. And, and no matter how you try and make it efficient, there's always going to be a, a technical issue or a sound issue or, a, in, you know, something's unstable from a Wi-Fi perspective. So those things that you've had to integrate and kind of they're time suckers, as I call them, right? You have to deal with them because that's it's different. But then there's another flip side to it as well, right? You're able to, you know, kind of be a, probably work a little bit more efficiently and not spend so much time commuting. But I actually have a colleague that I'm going to meet for the first time, many colleagues for the first time at a, and, and, you know, kind of an employee event. And it's just so odd to me that I haven't met them for the entire year I've been there. And it's, con it's kind of like meeting a movie star, you know, how when you see him on the big screen and then you meet him in person, you're like, oh, they're a lot shorter than I thought. They're a lot taller than I thought. You know, it's funny. It's just, it's just. Uh, you know, we, uh, we just bought a company ourselves and I actually met the CEO for the first time uh, the other day because we, we had a regulation meeting after several months. And because uh, my team had been doing the due diligence. Now, I've I, seen each other on video plenty of times, but we didn't have a chance to meet. And then uh, when we were supposed to go up, uh, I got COVID, so I wasn't able to actually meet in person. So, but uh, yeah, I mean, it, it, but it's, it's, you know, it's it, 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 I think that personal connection is is important, right? To be oh, able to, yeah. Nothing like it. There's nothing like it in that respect. And part of me really misses a lot of that too. But I would definitely say, you know, I don't think any of us ever had the insight or the thought of how our world would change. Um, I think it has shown us that we're even more resilient, um, that we can think even, you know, sometimes have to think even more creatively. I just feel like it's probably, you know, sped things up in the digital world. Gosh, I would say five to, five to seven, eight years. We would not have been to this point now if we did not hit that pandemic. I, I would concur. I think companies were on the arc, but mm -hmm. this has definitely been a catalyst that, that's driven a lot of change. So we talked a few minutes ago about the tenure of the CMO yes. getting yes. shorter, but we haven't really talked yet about how the role has changed and maybe why. Why is the role getting shorter? I mean, how is the CMO different today and what she has to do versus, let's say, four or five years ago? Yeah, I, I think, you know, and I can speak from personal experience, when you first come into to some, something like this role 20 years ago, it was much more based on communication. It was much more based on external type of PR, limited types of I would, I would call external, really just external corporate communication roles, um, public relations, uh, brand building. I think now with the adaption and the innovation of so much technology and data, you now have a whole different 
realm that has opened up. You have a CMO that is not just creative, but all has to also has to be analytical and able to, you know, really get to know that client very well. And that CMO, in some respects, you do see them crossing over to bigger roles because they are so customer facing. They are collaborative. They are the ones that understand the entire uh, company. They, they're involved in the entire company. They understand that client probably a little bit better than most others within this space. And if they can get that operational side and that that number side as well, then they can round themselves out to possibly step into even a larger role at some point. I don't think it's always going to be within the company you're at. I feel like that's something that you see more and more of that here and there. It's probably one company coming and pooling someone to, to take on that larger role. Uh, I just think it's hard from that stigma internally if you're a CMO. I think it's really hard that people would see you in that light or more of a, you know, more of an operational role. Um, but but I, again, dynamics changing. A lot of customer data, understanding the customer, being out there, really understanding a lot more of the higher level thoughts of the company than some other people who are very people who are very internally focused. And that does give a little bit of an edge here. Well, I mean, I just think about the many hats today CMO has to wear, right? You mm-hmm. need to continue to be a brain driver. You need to drive demand. You need to be a change agent. You know, you're you're doing corporate communications, product marketing. Uh, you might be working with multiple channels. Um, you're now, in most cases, at least for mid-sized enterprise CMOs, you're managing more technology than IT is. Absolutely. So, yeah. And that's yeah. not, and that's where there's a lot of a rub, you know, because when you get that mar- marketing technology of of attracting folks in, it's different than operational. It's an experience. And then you have the operational IT, which may be more responsible for keeping the infrastructure rolling and up, but they're not necessarily focused on how they're going to have an experience. So that's a, a lot to figure out, and that can really be difficult. Not, not to mention, I think, we're wiring this marketing to be mid to long range planners. Uh, and But then the, the uh, ever present pressure from sales to do something now, um, to get, get revenue now. And that's great if we have e-commerce sites and we're selling transactional pride, we can get you business now. But right, if we're selling a considered purchase, a complex sale, it's impossible. No, some of those cycles can take nine to 12 months, you know, mm-hmm. and and trying to understand that and work towards that. Um, you're right. If you can't, if you can't do it right now. But I think you're right. I think the scope of the CMO has drastically changed. And I think that's good for the next generation to come up because I think it gives them so much more growth and opportunity as they they move. Um, but I, I definitely, you know, also see that there are a lot of rubs in the areas where there's between IT and marketing, you know, sometimes even operationally, there's marketing operations now um, to try and get projects. If you want to scale, you have to have that. But then you have operations saying, why are you doing that? So there can definitely be some rubs, um, you know, based on on you having to, to be at the front of the company and bring things in very sticky, very quick. Uh, you got to do it fast. And, and that pressure will sometimes make you do whatever you have to do to keep it going. And that really seems like very little margin for error these days. And, and there's very little patience, right? Little just, patience. I, I agree. And that's yeah. hard. And that's hard to live like that, right? It is. So you like that pressure coming in. You're either going to perform or you're not. And if you don't, you're out. It's, well, it, I'm really and, blessed. Yeah. I have like a, an amazing culture that I'm that I'm at, which is half the battle, right? Because if you feel like you're in a collaborative place where you're able to express yourself but not be afraid um, to make errors because you have to be as a marketer you can't always go out there being 100 percent. you have to be strategic but you also have to be a little you know i, I gotta try this because that's the only way you're going to know sometimes it doesn't work all the time but you got to try some different things and pivot you know and you don't want to be afraid to do that 
No, absolutely. So I, I always like to ask this question. If you can go back in time and give your younger self a, uh, one piece of advice, what would it be? You know, I think, I, th I think knowing what I know now probably would have gone back and, and learned more about financial sides of, of, of the operation of things. Finance to me would, would always be something I think you could always just bring more to the table with. Uh, but having been more of a creative side, although I have my MBA in banking and finance, I still would have probably gone back and got like a complete real estate degree of some sort if I was gonna stay in this particular field because it helps to understand the operational side and the parts, every parts of a deal. But you know, we only have so much time. <laughs> This is true. Uh, and, and speaking of that, we are up for today. But uh, as always, Bonnie, it's such a pleasure to speak with you. Thank you for being on the program. Oh, you too. What you're doing is amazing. I, I think you're a leader in this space. So I appreciate you giving me the opportunity. And what a great, great experience for me to be with you today. Thank you. Bonnie Haben, Chief Marketing Officer from Excalibur Capital. Thank you, Bonnie.